Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do terrific work. And you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including guest William Yateman. He is a senior legal fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. We'll also visit with Ben Lieberman, senior economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, you know, they're cracking down on these gas stoves. Let's find out about that. And he has the the answers about that. Also, Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston of Space Architecture and author of many books. His latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It is June the 16th, and on this day in 1884, the first roller coaster in America opened in Coney Island in Brooklyn, New York. Known as a switchback railway, it was a brainchild of Lamarcus Thompson, traveled approximately six miles per hour and cost a nickel to ride. The new entertainment was an instant success, and by the turn of the century, there were hundreds of roller coasters around the country. Coney Island, uh, a name believed to be come from the Dutch uh, or called Rabbit Island, is a tract of land along the Atlantic Ocean discovered by explorer Henry Hudson in 1609. The first hotel opened in Coney Island in 1829, and by post-Civil War years, the area was an established resort with theaters, restaurants, and a racetrack. Between 1897 and 1904, three amusement parks sprang up at Coney Island, Dreamland, Luna Park, and Steeplechase. By the 1920s, Coney Island was reachable by subway and summer crowds of millions of people. A day flocked there for rides, games, sideshows, and beached and two-and-a-half-mile boardwalk completed in 1923. <clears throat> the hot dog is said to have been invented at Coney Island in 1867 by Charles Feltman. In 1916, a nickel hot dog stand called Nathan's was opened by a former Feltman employee and went on to become the Coney Island Institution and International Franchise. Today, Nathan is famous not only for its hot dogs, but for its hot dog eating contest held each 4th of July at Coney Island. Roller coasters and amusement parks experienced a decline during the Great Depression and World War II when Americans had less cash to spend on entertainment. Finally, in 1955, the opening of Disneyland in Anaheim signaled the advent of a modern theme park and a rebirth of roller coasters. Uh, Disneyland's success sparked a wave of new parks and coasters, by 1970s, parks were completed and competing to, co to create the most thrilling rides. By the mid-1960s, the major amusement parks at Coney Island had shut down and the area uh, acquired a seedy image. In recent decades, it's been revitalized, however, and remains a popular tourist attraction. It's still home to the Cyclone, a wooden roller coaster and made its debut in 1927, capable of speeds of 60 miles an hour with an 85-foot drop. The Cyclone is one of the country's oldest roller coasters in operation today. The story of Coney Island. Kind of the background and the story of the history and the economy, isn't it? So interesting. Well, Governor, uh, Ron DeSantis signed the framework for the Freedom of Budget for uh, fiscal year 23 and 24. The framework for Freedom Budget includes a record $2.7 billion tax relief package to help Florida families during a time of high inflation caused by reckless federal spending. Additionally, the governor highlighted record investments in Florida environment and uh, natural resources, which are a cornerstone of Florida's thriving economy, including a record $1.6 billion investment in Everglades restoration and water quality projects. The governor championed and secured the debt reduction program that will immediately reduce Florida's debt by approximately $400 million, saving an estimated $31 million in accelerating debt reduction while Washington, D.C. continues to grow spiral out of control in terms of debt. <clears throat> The framework for the uh, Freedom Budget totals $116.5 billion, billion for uh, people of Florida. 
Florida maintains healthy reserves at the end of the fiscal year, totaling more than $15.3 billion. Florida has maintained record levels of reserves while continuing to make historic investments in education, public safety, infrastructure, and the environment. To maintain Florida's sound fiscal standing in the face of continued economic headwinds due to the ill-conceived federal policies, Governor Sanders, DeSantis vetoed $510.9 million. Now he has the line item veto that, of course, the president doesn't have, but irrespective, it uh, locked out a lot of projects that are superfluous, in his opinion. $510.9 million. We stayed the course and put the individual freedoms of Floridians at the forefront of every decision, resulting in low unemployment, record tourism, and a thriving economy, said DeSantis. Florida continues to lead the nation on all fronts, and we have laid the groundwork for generations of success. Though this year's budget, we have cemented an economic framework which supports Florida families, business owners, and students in the pursuit of a prosperous future. Well done, Governor DeSantis. Uh, just uh, I know these, he, he makes good decisions. He really does. And just so glad that he's our governor. And I hope he become our president in 2028. Have you seen Tucker Carlson's newly released episode four? It's called Joe Biden, the wannabe dictator. Uh, you may see the Chiron that uh, showed up on Fox News uh, during Trump's speech that he was making at uh, Benminster. Well, uh, at the same time, uh, Biden was giving a talk, and the and the Chiron read something to the effect of uh, Joe Biden is a wannabe dictator. Well, wanna, oh, here it is. Wannabe dictator speaks at the White House after uh, having his political rival arrested. That was the Chiron read. Uh, the inside Fox, the woman who ran the network, panicked. First, they scolded the producer who put the banner on the screen. Less than 24 hours after that, he resigned. He's been at Fox for more than a decade. He was considered one of the most capable people in the building. He offered to stay for the customary two weeks, but Fox told him to clear out his desk and leave immediately. Then the company issued a public apology for the 22nd long wannabe dictator line, Tucker said. By the way, uh, Tucker is bright. He was brilliant in this episode. It's 13 minutes long and illustrated why Joe Biden is indeed a wannabe dictator. He just paints the picture so beautifully. Uh, if you have an opportunity, there's already been uh, over 13 million views of uh, this 13 minute episode. <clears throat> Well, a bombshell study from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control, now that's right, from the CDC and the Food and Drug Administration, uh, you know, this is the source, confirmed that the risk of autoimmune heart disease is 13,200% higher in people who, have vac who are vaccinated for COVID. That's, let me repeat that. Heart disease, 13,200% increase in the people who are uh, in heart disease compared to the people that, that did, did not get vaccinated. The study found that the risk of myocarditis following mRNA COVID vaccines is around 133 times greater than the uh, background uh, of the uh, background risk in the risk population. The study was conducted again by the CDC, the FDA, and research from top universities and hospitals. So very credible research. <clears throat> and again, just more proof that... Uh, this emergency vaccine was not properly tested, and the consequence it has a lot of repercussions, unintended consequences. Beware of your federal government. Beware of the messages coming from the government, especially when it comes to health care. President Joe Biden appeared to laugh at reporters' questions on possible recordings of his conversations with the Burisma executive. As the president was leaving the White House East Room following an event, New York Post reporter Steve Nelson tried to shout out a couple of questions. Are there tapes that are you accepted bribes, uh, President Biden? Is that true? The journalist has valid questions, giving of the heavy allegations that have been levied against the president of the free world. Instead of answering, Biden stopped, turned around to face the reporter, and was seen grinning. He was also appeared to be chuckling uh, to himself, but did not actually give any sort of answer. He shook his head as he headed back on his way out of the room. So he found it funny, that question. Uh, I, I wonder if he'll find it funny here in another, another couple of months as the vice begins to close on Biden, on the Biden crime family. 
Well, who's the most, uh, has the highest favorability among presidential candidates? Well, believe this or not, Robert Kennedy Jr. holds the highest net favorability among 2024 presidential candidates, the new poll found. Former New Jersey Governor uh, Chris Christie has the lowest favorability rating, net. A poll from The Economist, YouGov, found that 49% of respondents viewed Kennedy very or somewhat favorably, compared to just 30% who viewed him very or somewhat unfavorably, a net favorability of uh, 19 points. In contrast, 51% of respondents had a very or somewhat unfavorable view of Christie, compared to just 27% of viewed him or somewhat favorably, or a net favorability of negative 24 points. Okay, uh, Robert Kennedy, I, I hope he does gain some traction in this election. He is clearly the most qualified Democrat candidate, in my opinion, and uh, I think he stands for some very good things. It would be so refreshing to uh, <clears throat> have a candidate from the Democrat Party who really cared about the country. Well, Utah Republican Senator Mitt Romney has seen his popularity in Beehive State fall considerably in recent months as the moderate Republican continues to separate himself uh, from the pro-Trump wing of the party. Romney has uh, filled the paperwork out to seek re-election but has not yet officially announced his plans. He first secured election to the seat in 2018 after moving from Massachusetts where he served as governor. The Republican lawmaker earned the approval of 41% of voters in the latest survey, a political poll. In March, he had uh, performed 11 points better, earning the approval of 52% of voters in the state. His disapproval rating surged five points from 44 to 49%. At least one Republican has entered the field to challenge Romney should he seek re-election. Reverend Mayor uh, Trent Staggs declared his candidacy in May, highlighting the Romney's moderate record and moved to Utah to secure the seat. Here's a quote from uh, Staggs. The only thing I've seen from him fight, uh, fight for the establishment, wokeness, open borders, impeaching President Trump, putting us even deeper into debt, he said in the campaign video. We have more IRS agents than border agents, and while we're paying $4 a, a gallon for gas, they're sending our money unchecked to Ukraine. <clears throat> now we're almost $32 trillion in debt. Enough is enough, said Staggs in his comments. And I guess this is a, a, probably an ad that he's uh, released, so good for him. <laughs> I wish him a lot of luck. Romney should not be in the United States Senate. <clears throat> this segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to visit with Ben Lieberman. He is a senior economist at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time.
Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. <clears throat> Excuse me, please. Changing lives through exceptional theater experiences and uh, putting on some great performances right now. You can find out more and get tickets. The website <clears throat> is golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Ben Lieberman, Senior Economist with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Right now we have with us William Yateman. He is a Senior Legal Fellow with the Pacific Legal Foundation. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Tell us about the Pacific Legal Foundation. You bet. We're a, a nonprofit law firm, and we defend Americans for free from government overreach and abuse. Playing a really important role in helping to determine law here in the United States, the Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. So, wait, let's talk a little bit about what's happening on Capitol Hill, some of the things that are going on. Uh, Looks like uh, we're going to have be drawing up a uh, budget and going back to regular order. Indeed. So this is fantastic news. Um, I should set the table first. So last week I spoke of a legislative blockade that was being put on by members of the um, Freedom Caucus uh, to express their dissatisfaction with a debt ceiling deal. Um, the blockade was lifted on Monday, and the concession they wrought from the Speaker, Speaker McCarthy, was to set spending at 2022 levels for the next uh, appropriations bill. And that's a bit below what had been agreed on um, uh, the debt ceiling. So they're right. treating the debt ceiling as a, or, I'm sorry, the debt ceiling limit, the debt limit as a ceiling for these appropriations. Um, that's good news. Even better news is that they this week they also kicked off in the Appropriations Committee um, the actual process. So I've spoken about this before. There's a multi-month um, process by which Congress is supposed to come up with these appropriation bills, 12 of them, that funds the government. Um, it's This process is supposed to lend discipline uh, to government spending. It's been largely abandoned in right. the last 30 years. And uh, thankfully, this week, uh, it appears as though the House GOP is, is serious about this. So they, they've rolled up their sleeves and actually begun the process of deliberating um, on these appropriation bills uh, uh, in the Committee of Jurisdiction. So that's good news. Good news indeed. I mean, if they pass a, a budget, which would be great news, it doesn't need to be confirmed by the Senate. I would imagine it does. Indeed it would. Um, so uh, to be sure, there has already been grumbling from the Democrats. There has been grumbling from Senate Republicans who saw the debt ceiling deal as sort of fixing numbers that they were going to adhere to. Um, nonetheless, look, the, the House is uh, one half of Congress, right? Um, and Congress has the power of the purse. So this is very much within the House's prerogative um, to put these issues, uh, you know, on the table and to put them in the fore. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this plays out. But this, this is how it's supposed to play out. I mean, this is precisely the sort of deliberation that's been missing for the last 30 years as Congress has abandoned its responsibilities uh, with its power of the purse. So is this going to lead to another standoff in September? We'll see. It's entirely possible, again, given that the, the Democrats are very much miffed right now. Um, but again, that's, uh, uh, you know, so be it. I mean, <laughs> these are, the, the, the you know, the, that's if that's what it takes to get our fiscal house in order, I mean, the alternative, uh, 
you know, fiscal disorder certainly seems worse to me. Uh, well, I think it's a great idea, and I'm so pleased that they're taking this track. So getting back to regular order. Now, the House passed <clears throat> the RAINS Act, and I wonder if you give us some comments on that. Yes. So <clears throat> this is a, a big deal. Um, now, of course, it would, even if it passed the Senate, it would get vetoed by President Biden. Um, but it indicates that this measure is something that House leadership and congressional leadership are, is thinking about. Um, and the RAINS Act, what it would do simply is, that for every major law-like regulation issued by uh, a government bureaucracy, um, so that's anything above $100 million per year in effect, that it would have to be approved by Congress before it took hold, um, which seems, you know, gosh, uh, uh, from a constitutional perspective, it certainly seems pretty normal to me, um, notwithstanding the fact that the whole point of this is to empower Congress, it is opposed tooth and nail by Democrats. Um, progressives in particular. but um, So it passed the House. Uh, I guess they did peel off one Democrat vote. Uh, it was 200, uh, 221 to 210. Um, we'll see what its prospects are in the Senate. However, even were it to pass the Senate, it would not uh, survive a presidential veto. Nonetheless, this is a good sign because, again, it, it indicates that this is a priority for our current congressional leadership, um, and, and that's a welcome news. Welcome news indeed. However, I'm concerned about unintended consequences. Does the House have to approve cuts in regulations like President Trump would want to do? Uh, it would not now. That is actually an open legal question. I mean, it depends on how they craft the bill. <clears throat> As is, I believe it's only if it has a regular, or an economic impact of $100 million plus cost. Mm. Um, so I don't think it would sweep in deregulatory efforts. I'll say this uh, as well. The unfortunate fact of the matter is that there's no political constituency for uh, deregulation. I mean, uh, businesses see regulatory costs as sunk costs that are entrance barriers for their competitors. Right. Um, so uh, notwithstanding President Trump's leadership on this issue, the, the, the status quo or, or par for the course in this city is that deregulatory efforts have much less political impetus than regulatory efforts. Well, from your lips to God's ear. Also, uh, <laughs> how about the, uh, let, let's talk about and focus on uh, the uh, bribery, the Biden crime family and the, the evidence that's come out. What are your thoughts on that? We've some, yeah, more details came out this week. Um, so just to close the loop from last week, um, we, we had talked about how there had been this squabble between the House Republicans and the FBI Director Ray over access to this FD-1023 document, this um, tip form for trusted informants. Um, so we learned last week, I, I talked about how um, the FBI relented. Uh, they caved and allowed uh, uh, the House Oversight Committee access to this document. Well, it, it turns out the document was heavily redacted. So uh, the, the lawmakers reportedly this week were unsatisfied. So that's one issue. The other one is the Federalist reported this week on details of this entire imbroglio. Um, so evidently uh, the, the tipster, had uh, the, his allegation was he'd had conversations with the Burisma founder. Um, and the Burisma founder says that he had been, quote unquote, coerced. And that's evidently that's how it was reported. Um, into giving $10 million worth of bribes, $5 million from the vice president's son, $5 million from the president um, when he was vice president. Um, uh, you know, certainly explosive allegations. It is, uh, uh, you know, where it goes from here, it's, uh, we've got Congress is on it, and the House GOP, you know, is in the majority, so they've got uh, capacious investigatory powers. Um, but it's... You know, look, we know his son was involved in Burisma, and we know he took a high salary. Yeah. Um, so there certainly is a factual predicate. I, I'll say there's... Oh, I forgot to mention this. The, uh, according to the Federalist, the gentleman says, uh, uh, the Burisma founder says that he took recordings of such dealings. And right. these, to be sure, are unverified, but um, we've got people barking up this tree, um, and if there's anything there, we'll certainly find uh, Well, I'd imagine we'll find out. I would imagine as well. So thank you for that. Before I let you go, uh, $400 billion in pandemic waste and fraud. Can you comment on that? Just unbelievable. I mean, we've spoken about it before, but this is the latest government watchdog report. 
to put that in perspective, that's about 2% of our GDP. Um, and I'll just uh, to, uh, close the loop on a prior discussion. Um, you know, certainly this should cast a, a light on government spending writ large. I mean, what sort of lessons can we learn here? Um, you know, how wasteful is government spending sort of uh, in normal course? Um, but, you know, that's a big number, $400 billion, um, and that's not good enough for government work, or that's not good enough even for government work. No, that's that right. Be uh, you, you know, uh, I always think about uh, government uh, as the uh, our political leaders has wanted to be at the ribbon cutting, but there's no follow-up, and this is a good example of that. For You'd think the President of the United States would be concerned about waste, <laughs> Four, $400 yeah, yeah. billion, dollars, that's just unbelievable. William Yateman, again, a senior legal fellow at the uh, Pacific Legal Foundation. PacificLegal.org is the website. William, really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure indeed. All right, coming up, Ben Lieberman, senior economist at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture. Right now we have with us Ben Lieberman. He is a senior policy analyst with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Ben, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Well, thank you for having me. My pleasure, Ben. Tell us about the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Well, we are a free market uh, think tank. We've been located in Washington, D.C., so we're in the swamp, but we're trying to push back against the swamp, you could say. Uh, And uh, free markets, limited government, rule of law, property rights, Individual liberty are all the things that we have been uh, fighting for for uh, close to 40 years. A wonderful organization. And I must say, uh, you're on the front lines of the fight there, but being a policy analyst, we're seeing more and more. I mean, to me, we saw Trump, I think, trying to alleviate and reduce the level of regulations to to free up our economy. Right now, Joe Biden's kind of making like walking through saltwater taffy in order to to, to deal with these regulations. Any general comments at all before we get into the regulations on gas stoves? Yeah, well, I, I follow gas stoves and other regulations like that. I think it's important to fight the big infringements on our freedom, but also the hundreds and hundreds of small ones that cumulatively are, are, are very, very significant. That's why I follow gas stoves 
and a whole other other whole, whole bunch of other regulations that are, uh, in fact, just about every room around the house is uh, going to be the victim of a bad regulation if we let it happen. Well, well, thank you for that, Ben. Now, let's let's talk about gas stoves. It seems that, uh, first of all, you, you hear things like, well, there's this, this administration is not against gas stove. You hear these things. But it clearly, I mean, you're seeing these regulations pop up not only nationally, but also on the, uh, in, in states. What if you could comment? Well, this is all part of the climate agenda. Natural gas is a fossil fuel, and a number of very well-funded environmental groups have been pushing very hard to end the use of natural gas as well as other fossil fuels. We see this everywhere. We see this with cars, with all sorts of regulations to push us away from gasoline-powered uh, and cars and trucks, diesel-powered as well, towards EVs, electric vehicles. And we're also seeing it in the home, regulations for appliances that come in natural gas and electric versions like stoves. We could also talk about furnaces and, and water heaters. But appliances that come in electric and, and natural gas versions, the climate activists don't want us to use natural gas anymore. And so uh, the Biden administration is using these regulations to favor electric versions over natural gas. That's bad news for consumer choice. People prefer gas stoves, or many of them do. They say they're, they're much better for, 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 for cooking. But it's also important because natural gas is three and a half times cheaper than electricity on a per-unit energy basis. So we certainly want to allow uh, um, consumers to have that option of the cheaper energy source. But, again, because of the climate agenda, natural gas is under assault. And you mentioned uh, things going on at, at the state and local level as well as at the federal level. So there's a whole lot going on, and we need to push back against all of it. So I think, the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the House just yesterday or the day before passed uh, a, a law against or a bill against uh, eliminating gas stoves. Any comments on that? Well, we actually passed two bills, and they had to do that because the Biden administration has two agencies going after gas stoves. The Consumer Product Safety Commission huh. is investigating gas stoves, and the Department of Energy is setting new efficiency, energy efficiency regulations for stoves, which might sound nice on the surface, but you look at the details and the way these rules were fashioned, or this rule was fashioned, it really tries to crack down on gas stoves much more than uh, electric. What the House of Representatives did, did, and in a bipartisan fashion, I might add, is uh, is vote to uh, stop the Consumer Product Safety Commission with one bill and, and the Department of Energy with another. And uh, every Republican in the House was joined by, I believe, 29 Democrats to, to stop this. So uh, it, it was a good first step towards fighting back from the House of Representatives. Oh, that's good. So what are the prospects of the Senate? Uh that's that's a little tougher. That's democratically controlled. So uh, a, a Senate Majority Leader uh, Chuck Schumer can control what uh, gets voted on, and not so that's tougher. But even there, at least one Democrat, Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia, has already come out strongly against these uh, gas stove restrictions. So uh, so it, 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 it's got an outside chance of some consideration in the Senate. Probably not very likely. But uh, an outside chance, and, and the reason I say that is because this really has resonated with the American people. When they first heard back in January that the, the, the federal government was going to start tinkering with their choices in their kitchens, it really it rubbed people the wrong way. And I think there's, there's, a, there's a strong uh, a groundswell against this. So I, so I think it, it has a chance of, uh, uh, of moving. Even, but even if it makes it through the Senate, then it has to be... Uh, 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 voted on by by uh, President Biden, and what are the odds that he's going to vote against his yeah. own agency's regulations? So it's a tough it's a tough hurdle, but it's a good debate to have. The political winds can shift, and maybe we can do something on gas stoves in the, in the future. It's good to get that debate started now. Well, you know, Ben. Uh, on one hand, I you just see the popularity of this administration going down. You see more and more young people now saying they're more conservative uh, than they've been in the past, uh, and that I think it's because of things like this. I mean, in other words, uh, who's going to say, "Hey, this is a good idea. We should get rid of gas stoves"? I don't think anybody. Uh, those that don't own them don't care, and those that do are are feeling offended. 
Oh, I think even people who ha- who are fine with their electric stove, they still don't like the idea of the government saying that's the, your only choice. Uh, I, 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 I think there's a lot that the, that the administration is doing that would be unpopular if the public knew about it. And once they find out about it, they, they, they are opposed. This time uh, there was a backlash. There's a bunch of other backlashes that should also be during brewing. Just on appliances alone, there's crazy new regulations going after clothes washers, after dishwashers. Uh, people complain already that the existing regulations now it takes two hours to get a load of dishes done, and now the Department of Energy is going to crack down even, even, even harder. So again, a bad regulation for every room in your 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 house. More on the way. Um, pe- most people still won't prefer gasoline-powered cars, but there's regulations the works that really shifts things towards uh, electric vehicles. It's taking choice away from the individual. People don't like that. Night. The challenge is to make sure they find out what's going on before it is too late. Absolutely. And it, it, my just my take on things, and I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a senior uh, uh, policymaker or economist or anything of the sort, but uh, nevertheless, I, I just wonder about uh, this push towards uh, electric vehicles and so forth. I just don't think it's going to resonate. You see uh, major car companies investing heavily in, in that as the future, but do you think it's really going to take? I have real doubts. Well, electric vehicles are catching on a little bit more than now, 5 or 6% of the market, but that's a long way from dominating the market. There's a lot of problems with electric vehicles, not just the higher costs and the longer range but uh, uh, they're just not practical, for example, for the one-third of American households that are single-vehicle households. Can an EV be that one all-purpose vehicle? You know, what if you need to go somewhere while it's charging? What if you want to go on a long trip and, and don't want to have to stop for long recharges uh, uh, along the way at numerous, at numerous points? There's a lot of reasons why the public is hesitant about electric vehicles. Of course, there's even questions about whether they are environmentally any better or, 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 or not. And I think the big issue, and I would tie this back to uh, getting rid of gas stoves and gas appliances, is if we're going to be shifting to this much more electricity use, if we're going to stop using gasoline and have to replace all those BTUs with electricity, if we're going to stop using gas stoves and gas water heaters and gas heating systems and use electricity, that's more electricity. We're already seeing some problems with uh, uh, reliability because of this shift away from coal, away from uh, uh, natural gas, even away from hydroelectric, and towards uh, less reliable wind and solar, again, also because of the climate agenda. So, you know, the climate agenda is, is, is trying to push uh, us to be using electricity for everything. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the climate agenda is making it harder to generate sufficient electricity. I see a recipe for unreliability, a recipe for blackouts becoming much more more, more frequent. It, it, it is very worrisome when you look at the totality of what's going on with electricity. And whatever happened to nuclear, that seems doesn't seem to be part of the, uh, the discussion. One would think environmentalists would love nuclear, uh, virtually zero emissions. Right. But they find a reason to dislike every economically viable energy source. You'd almost wonder if the environmental movement just wants to do economic damage. And just to the U.S. economy, um, um, those same economists don't seem to be concerned about China, whose emissions have far surpassed those of the United States. Again, Ben Lieberman, he is a senior policy analyst with the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, what's the website for the Competitive Enterprise Institute? Well, you can find out about these issues and more at CEI.org. CEI.org. Ben, just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, and anytime. All right, thank you, Ben. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the uh, Bob Harden uh, Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network.
Finish what you started with a Hodges University wheel. You can complete your bachelor's degree in as little as one year with your previously earned credits. What's the wheel? It's a customized bachelor's degree in organizational management. Learn about and apply the business, management, and leadership skills you need to advance your career. You can get unmatched educational experience with classes held once a week on campus in Fort Myers, in Port Charlotte, or Naples. You'll be immersed in classes taught by professors with real-world experience in the areas of business, management, and leadership. This degree can be applied to all areas of professional career. Learn more by calling 239-938-7700. That's 239-938-7700. Or visit Hodges.edu. Stay near and go far with Hodges University. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. You know, uh, Lula B's Diner serves a fantastic breakfast and lunch and very good food at the Green Tree Shopping Center. Well, now, Wednesday through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m., they have uh, dinner service, and it's just terrific. It's informal, a great menu, and uh, you, you don't even need a reservation. You just drop by and enjoy fantastic food and at extremely reasonable prices. Uh, Linda and I go there once a week. We really enjoy it. Again, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m., Lulabee's Diner in the uh, Green Tree Shopping Center. Well, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Larry Bell, professor, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we're going to cover a couple of uh, things. For example, several U.S. federal government agencies have been hit with a global cyber attack that exploits a vulnerability in widely used software. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency that's, that's a real agency, believe it or not, is providing uh, support to several federal agencies that have experienced intrusions affecting vulnerable software exploited by hackers. This according to Eric Goldstein, the agency's executive assistant director for cybersecurity. It's not immediately clear if the hackers responsible for breaching the federal agencies were a uh, Russian-speaking ransomware group that has been claimed credit for numerous other victims in the uh, hacking campaign. Just strikes me as so interesting and ironic that our federal agencies seem to have more vulnerable uh, software than, for example, that, that is available on the commercial market for uh, private consumers. And now to be attacked like this, just unbelievable. Don't know what provoked it. I'm sure they're blaming it on the Russians right now. But uh, again, uh, we should. You think about all the money that we spend on infrastructure. That one point was it four or one point six trillion dollars. And uh, this is what we get. Well, former President Donald Trump thanked Miami residents Thursday coming to federal courthouse on, in the Florida city earlier this week to support him at, uh, during his arraignment on federal charges. I want to thank all the thousands of people in Miami. Great place for showing up at the courthouse and doing it in such an elegant manner, showing respect because you re recognize that this was a false and fraudulent indictment of me by corrupt people, he said in a video posted on uh, True Social. He pleaded not guilty, of course, on Tuesday to 37 charges in connection with Justice Department. Uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith's investigation to his alleged mishandling of classified documents. You know, in those papers that, uh, that he filed against Trump, he didn't once mention the Presidential, uh, the, uh, presidential uh, Papers Act. It's not the Presidential Papers Act. I don't have it exactly right, but Documents Act. And the point, the point being is that uh, the, the guy is just uh, making a case against Trump that is alleviated and uh, actually dismissed 
with the whole notion that he had full protection as president of the United States for having those papers. Because he has the ability to make them, uh, 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 make them uh, non-confidential and non-classified and uh, to keeping them, in his, as so many other presidents have done in the past. Nevertheless, uh, he's going to be on trial. And again, the attacks continue on President Donald Trump. They really don't want him to run uh, for president. And you know why? Because uh, he has the goods. He'll be able to uh, take the action necessary to eliminate or at least neutralize the deep state. He'll get people on his team that will uh, turn America around and make America great again. Found this story uh, cu uh, curious. A speed cuber. You remember uh, Rubrics Cube? Well, this uh, speed cuber from the United States named Max Park uh, broke the record for the quickest time to solve a 3x3x3 three by three by three Rubik's Cube by living uh, the slogan, Don't Think, Just Solve. My understanding is that he's on the spectrum. and uh, But the 21-year-old accomplished this amazing accomplishment on June the 11th at the Pride in Long Beach 2023 event in California by com completing the cube in a mind-boggling 3.13 seconds. This accomplishment beats the previous record of 3.47 seconds achieved by a, uh, a young man from China. Unbelievable. Have you ever tried to solve a U Rubik's Cube? I, just, uh, you, I think you'd uh, have my, uh, ad my admiration if you're able to even solve it. Never mind, uh, do it in 3.13 seconds. Just an unbelievable achievement. Well, the Millennium Tower, a luxury 545-foot-tall uh, skyscraper in the Bay Area, continues to experience increasing tilting and sinking despite efforts by architects to stabilize the upright structure. Uh, recent monitoring data reviewed by the AB NBC Bay Area's investigative unit reveals that the multi-million dollar per unit tower now leans more than 29 inches at the intersection of Fremont Mission Streets. This updated uh, measurement indicates a slant that is over half an inch deeper than previously disclosed. Can you imagine living on the 15th floor or 20th floor of a building that's leaning 27, 29 inches? The additional half-inch tilt reportedly occurred while engineers conducting excavation uh, work uh, earlier this year to reinforce the sinking condominium. This reinforcement aimed to support the tower, which was constructed on top of a former landfill along with uh, two sides. Unbelievable. <clears throat> I would not want to be living in that condominium. If you can imagine living in downtown San Francisco with all the turmoil that's going on, you'll see pro property reductions in the first place. And then on top of that, having your building uh, in a situation where it's leaning substantially. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Professor uh, Larry Bell, he's endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, author of several books, and he writes his column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere 
that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. I hope you'll check out the website. They get the politics and know the policy. They help prepare newly elected officials and the veterans, quite frankly, uh, to create winning strategies for legislation in state houses and the federal government. So you can find out more by visiting thefga.org. We have with us Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston in space architecture, the author of many books, his latest, Architectures Beyond Boxes and Boundaries, My Life by Design. It's a terrific read, as are all of his books. Also, he writes his own column for Newsmax.com. It's called On Point. Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, it's always a lot of fun. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Professor. So I I want to get your thoughts on uh, what happened in Miami on Tuesday in the courthouse, the indictment of President Donald Trump. I mean, I just appreciate your thoughts. Yeah, I think it's... uh I've got an article coming out this morning and talking about how, how you know how duplicitous the media is and how they seem to have uh, all this you know, Trump, Trump, Trump stuff, which keeps going on. I think they keep creating these uh, Trump stories to deflect against the problems they really have, and uh, and uh, you know the, all the coverage of the indictment and the drama at the courthouse and so on. Uh, and, and absolute crickets when it comes to the the uh, simultaneous announcements by the members of the House uh, Oversight Committee regarding uh, ex- discoveries and exposures of the uh, Biden family corruption, and most particularly the stuff is coming out on um, apparently FBI sourced information they've been sitting on regarding major $5 million bribes, both to Biden and to Joe Biden and his son Hunter uh, over Ukraine, and uh, specifically over over Burisma, this Ukraine corrupt energy company that, if we all recall now, that was, uh, Trump was impeached first time for even asking about that corruption, yeah. and uh, now it's it's coming full, you know, full throttle to see that you know the we're hearing that you know there's you know, among the stashes of documents that Biden had is information on you know documents on one or more I don't know how many on on Ukraine pr- presumably at the same time that he was heading Ukraine policy for the Obama administration and and. Um, as uh, vice president, and his son is on this uh, Burisma board at the time, and getting eighty grand a month for a no-show position. Uh, and then Biden publicly brags about uh, he's going to withhold a, a billion dollars of U.S. tax money that, from military stuff that they needed uh, if they don't fire the um, prosecutor in, in Ukraine that's that's uh, investigating Burisma and by extension you know Hunter Biden is tied to that and it's just it's just this you know as, as you unravel you begin to unravel all these conflicts including you know influence peddling and profiteering on on public office um and, and and you compare that with you know with the charges against uh, uh, the former president for having records retaining records that he 
had full ability to de- declassify. You know the, you know the the, the contrast is, is is pretty stark and terrifying. It really is, Professor. And, you, and uh, I saw one uh, statistic that suggests that there was 291 minutes of covering uh, Trump at the uh, trial, at the uh, indictment. 291 minutes, that's the equivalent of, of like 30 shows or 40 uh, news shows, compared to zero coverage of uh, Biden in his, uh, the, what the revelations about his crimes is just unbelievable. And apparently there's news that he not only received a bribe from uh, Burisma, uh, but he also coerced the bribe. Apparently, strong-armed him to, to to get the money. Well, yeah, I mentioned I mentioned the the numbers on the media this morning and uh, my my article and the fact that there's been no coverage. In fact, there's been almost no coverage in the Wall Street Journal. Of course, that's owned by Murdoch, and we see this, you know, the same, uh, you know. <clears throat> Issues, issues there. You know, I'm grateful to be writing for a Newsmax, which which is, you know, not anti-Trump. Certainly, uh, they don't purport, nor do I purport to be behind any particular candidate. But mm-hmm. I got to tell you, I'm more and more sympathetic to Trump in the sense that there's a lot of really ugly stuff here that someone's going to have to look at and. Uh, I think Trump is probably the only one that has the tenacity and you know and the, the willingness to uh, you know to go after this because it's it's bigger than it's it's certainly larger than Trump and injustice to him. It's it's evidence that the country's legal system and 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 I think much of what drives the system is certainly public information and borders and so on, but the the media, just you know, the fact that we we don't have we don't have media reporting that we can trust. Quite the opposite, you know. When we seeing it's used as a as a propaganda tool, and the propaganda is also when you when you omit saying things and you, know, you keep things out of the news cycle, and you you know you you can uh, you know the the major networks can decide what's worth listening to and what should be listened to and so on and you know the conflicts of interest are just staggering you know we now oh, they are and the fbi fbi complicity and all this and when i say that i'm talking about people on the seventh floor not that not the rank and file right but the thing is, uh, I mean, you listen to Rachel Maddow. She says we're not going to play the Trump uh, speech because he lies. He's a liar. Yeah, I think w- I've uh, listened to uh, Donald Trump very carefully. He chooses his words carefully. He doesn't exaggerate, in my opinion. And uh, I'd be hard pressed. I, uh, I asked a friend one time. He says, "Well, Trump's a liar." I said, "Name one. What? T- tell us about the lie that he told." <laughs> he, he was. I don't know. He's scratching his head. And he, the point being is that uh, we, there's so much misinformation. And the point is this. When we used to listen to Walter Cronkite, you and I could have our differences about politics. and, and what he, But that was the source of our news. In other words, it came from one place. Right now, when you listen to a news show, you don't, you don't hear everything. It's, just, there's, it's really lies by omission, isn't it? I mean, you just don't hear uh, a lot of the stuff, as we mentioned, because, uh, for example, the mainstream media is not color, color, uh, covering Biden and uh, the corruption. Well, I think, too, that the public, you know, we, we have a lot of media, we have a lot of information sources now, and I think Rush Limbo brought, you know, radio into it, and and we have, you know, bloggers now, like myself, and we have, you know, so many, you know, we have different or, different uh, outlets. I like, I like uh, Epic Times a lot, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of some of the things that they are able to find that I don't see other places and so on, but but there's so many sources. But but at the same time, there's so much there's so much going on, and I think the public's disengaged, and, yeah. and that's the scary part. You know where where uh, you know people you know people don't you know when you look at the energy issues, which are very complicated, climate issues, which are very complicated, international issues, which people are not really connected with because they're too far away and they're too complex moving and 
and then you have the border, and you have the crime, and you have inflation, you have all these other things. I think I think the the public is just sort of turned off, and yeah. they're not listening. And the dangerous thing is that things are happening right now that are very very consequential to the future. Yeah, and the public and and when you have people say, well, I'll, I'll just watch certain channels to get my information from certain sources. Um, at, at, at the exclusion of others, which I think is happening a lot, um, you know, it, it, it's very frightening in a country that uh, where, where we find how voting can be manipulated so readily. Absolutely, Professor. By the way, I want to remind our listeners to uh, listen to Tucker Carlson's latest release. It's actually a video uh, on Twitter, and uh, his card he had seven point nine million views is <laughs> just amazing professor larry bell and dodd professor at the university of houston again his latest book architectures beyond boxes and boundaries my life by design professor always appreciate your commentary here on the show so so much so thank you so much for joining us and bob it's a pleasure thank you so much. my pleasure indeed well that's a wrap here on today's show i hope you enjoyed it i certainly did we've got great guests for monday as well i hope you make it a great day and a weekend on the paradise coast or wherever you are namaste thanks so much for listening to the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network for more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>